When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind the scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacher boys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's I, I when I got your email, I was I was um, I, I mean, I read through your story, was was kind of looking through the notes you sent over, and obviously, I've had a, a lot of different people on the show who have been in within you know reform schools or troubled teen homes or you know, whatever you'd like to call them. And I'm always interested first and foremost to kind of know what led to going to one of these homes. Um, you know, can you tell me just a little bit about your background? Um, I know before we hit record, you said you didn't grow up within religious circles. So how did your, your, you know, early childhood play into, um, you know, being sent to this home and, and how did you think your parents kind of found out about it initially? Um, well, I was sent to the home when I was 12. Um, we, from Florida, I was mm-hmm. living in, we were living in Florida at the time we moved there 
right before my 11th birthday. Um, and so I spent 40 years of my life thinking I was sent there because I was a bad kid that did all these bad things. You know, I, I was the bad kid. I, we moved to Florida. Like, I guess it was culture shock for me yeah. in a new school in like sixth and seventh grade. And, um, so it was like hard to fit in. My, my parents worked, I had to walk to school. Um, I, I had a job actually, I got a job selling newspaper subscriptions door to door, you mm. know, when I was like 11, cause you could do that back then. <laughs> um, this was like in probably 85, 83, 82, because I went to the home in 84 when I was 12. So, so yeah, so I, I picked up all kinds of bad habits mm. with the people I worked with and for like smoking cigarettes, smoking pot. The guy we worked for would drop all the other kids off at home and take me and my friend out to the drive in and we'd get drunk, you know? So yeah. I was doing this stuff when I was like 12. Yeah. And then that, that job went away because the newspaper was sold and I like, I guess. So I found like a friend. I finally found a friend, Debbie, and she was my best friend in seventh grade. And my, my parents wouldn't let me hang out with her because they didn't know her parents, didn't know where she lived, you know, but her parents were like bikers that lived over a bar. <laughs> and um, so I would just like run away and me and Debbie would run away and just go we just wouldn't go home. We'd like run the streets. So I was a bad kid, you know, but, yeah. um, so like I wouldn't go to school. I was in seventh grade, you know, and I refused to go to school cause I hated school. So, yeah. um, and that's how I ended up. I think I got sent to juvie a time or two and they couldn't like keep me there for some reason or other. So, so that's what I was doing. I got picked up for shoplifting one time, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Which is different from a lot of the other girls who, you know, say like their parents were Christians or whatever and they were raised in the church and they like got caught smoking a cigarette and so, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever. Or um the the girls before me, I, I, I now know that they used to take pregnant girls, you know, and sell the babies. But I think I came in after, after they quit taking pregnant girls because they had already been under investigation yeah. for all that. So now, now that I know the whole story, I, you know, I found the other girls and I found out more about the place. I see the big picture, but for 40 more than 40 years I just it was just something that happened I didn't never talked about it I was yeah. a bad kid and went on with my life you know sure was there any conversation before waking up and heading there was there any conversation of like this needs to stop or like or we need to change this or was it kind of this you know, those conversations had happened and this was kind of the last resort. Um, 
Are those conversations happen, but it was more like you live under our roof. You have to do what I say. Sure. And you have to go to the school because the law says you do. Yeah. You know, right. it wasn't like. It wasn't really a heart to heart kind of conversation. Yeah. Like <laughs> looking back now, like I can't remember one time my parents ever told me they loved me. It's more mm-hmm. like I, I was just an inconvenience, you know? Right. So, yeah, they said, um, they said we were, we were driving to Pennsylvania to help an aunt move to Florida. But like, I knew the way to between Pennsylvania and Florida, you know, cause I would always be looking at the map when we drew, drove. And so I think they drugged me or something like I, I fell asleep and I woke up in front of this big building and two people I didn't know took me by the arms and walked me in and Hmm. locked the door, set me in the room. And then all these girls and all these weird clothes were like asking me if I was saved. And I'm like, saved from what, where the hell am I? You know, (laughs) like what's going on? Yeah. What was the, what were the first, I mean, day one, you know, in this new environment, what was kind of the, the experience, you know, kind of adjusting because this was, you know, you're going from a context of, you know, doing whatever you'd like and, and, you know, you're in a, in a rough situation, you know, what was it like being there day one, making this massive shift and adjusting into the, into the home there? I honestly don't even remember, like Mm. I remember so little of it. Um, I remember like getting there, they shut the door, took me into that room and that, and I didn't see my parents again for like a year or something when they let them come visit me. Hmm. And, um, it's one of the, they, like they put the new girls on watch with helper girls and we weren't allowed to talk to anybody for three months, no contact with the outside world, you know? We weren't allowed to talk about worldly things. Like it was just me and a helper girl for three months. They had to like watch you go to the bathroom and church 24 seven, like memorizing Bible verses and stuff and getting licks. If you broke the rules with the wooden paddle. I remember like, peaches and cottage cheese for dinner <laughs> like from a can a canned peach and a blob of cottage cheese and and I, and I had to like play the game yeah. you just like played the game did what they said yeah did, w- this was your first experience with really religious environments too right i mean you'd gone to you know, church with your grandmother and stuff, but this was the first time being involved in this kind of world though, like this extreme kind of version of it was, what what was that like? I mean, trying to adjust learning that from the ground up, but also being in this extreme environment, what was that like during that time? Um, I think I just, I just played by the rules and did what they said, you know? Yeah. And that's where I learned to like conform, hmm. or whatever. I think that's how I survived 
28 years in the army, to be honest, but, and the last eight sucked, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I really don't remember much. I remember some of the girls and then I remembered more things when I, I found the Facebook group and I found the girls in the Bethesda Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. And then I started remembering more girls and remembering more things and um, reading about what happened, like why the place was shut down. Yeah. Like I never really knew what happened. All I know is they came in one day, we were lined up in the hallway to go outside. They would, they would walk us across to the field for exercise and I just remember these people from the state of Mississippi came in and said, we had to call our parents to come get us because mm. they were shutting the place down. Yeah. And, and I, I thought it was because two girls ran away and told us, told the police or whoever that they were beating us and things like that. And I never knew anything. Like I never talked about it with my parents. I never, I don't even remember leaving. Wow. Like, I don't remember the drive back to Florida. I, I, there's so much I don't remember. It's just like completely blocked. Yeah. Well, you, you were there during the last two years that the home existed, um, mm-hmm. which was, which I thought was interesting. Cause I, you sent, it's very helpful. You sent several articles and I was, I was reading about it and there was a, there was a big lawsuit. So um, there was a big lawsuit brought against Bob Willis, who is the pastor who ran it. Um, and it said that the lawsuit was filed in 82 and they had half the residents leave at that time. And then they still operated though, which is mm-hmm. interesting. So they kept operating till, um, 1987. Um, and then the lawsuit was settled, but they were still operating. So the lawsuit basically yeah. said that so they, they, were- they closed the home in Mississippi in 86, I think, and moved to Missouri. Yeah. Or- or maybe yeah i think but, so yeah they they did keep operating they just closed the doors at one place and moved to missouri which is common you know talking mm-hmm. with people that's a super common thing and um yeah i i think it was um yeah it was it was basically they the lawsuit ended and they agreed to stop paddling pregnant girls within the within the home which just reading that is shocking that they were paddling pregnant teen girls, which was a majority of who were being sent to this home. And then they agreed to give no more than eight licks to an, um, to any others in a five day period. Oh no. And then then they modified some of the other rules. No, there was more than that. Hmm. I know. I never got less than 10. Hmm. And, and I know I didn't, I remember not even knowing why I was getting them. Yeah. Like they said, we were all getting licks because some girls were planning a riot or were planning to run. And I knew about it. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't know anything, but whatever. I had to like bend over, take my licks and tell mama wills. I loved her. Oh. <laughs> it's like, so yeah. Yeah. And my, my friend, Amy, she had, um, she had like permanent purple marks on her butt cheek. Yeah. That I do remember. Yeah. Like she had like her butt cheeks were, were scarred. At least one of them 
because she was like my best friend when I was there, one of my best friends that I remember. Hmm. And then if they caught you like getting too close with a girl, they would separate you. Sure. And with like over a hundred girls and there were two hallways we lived on. So like, I only remember, I, I, I don't even remember. There's so few girls I remember out of 127, but we definitely got more than eight at a time. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, it says that was their agreement after the lawsuit, but they were still shut down by welfare. Cause that was what happened was, was the uh, welfare authorities conducted an investigation, which led to them getting shut down. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious. So like, I know you conformed to survive, which is again, normal within that situation. Was there any part of you that did, you know, two years of this indoctrination, basically two years of this, did, was there any of it that sunk in? Did you ever feel, or was it always a survival thing? Was it always, I'll play the part to get it through was it? survival. Mm-hmm. I ever since then, I've, I've never liked religion. Like hmm. even after I got out and then I started ninth grade when I got out because I was in seventh when I went in. They they put me in a Christian school, oh. I guess, because they took those pace things we did for mm-hmm. school there. I guess they accepted those. And so I went there for a year and I was like, I, I didn't, I've never been, I don't believe in God, Jesus, like I don't I don't like any kind of organized religion now. Hmm. And I've always been that way, but even more so now that I am more knowledgeable about things in the world, you know. Yeah. And extreme religions, religious extremism. Yeah. And I just can't believe it it still happens today. Yeah. In some states and and it was even allowed to happen by George Bush when he was governor of Texas and, and he passed the law that allowed the Lester Roloff homes operate without state oversight. Yeah. Like that pisses me off. Yeah. It's but that's, that's nothing I can do about it now, but now that I know about it, it's yeah. Well, that's, that's what's, hard with these conversations because like your, your story, I mean, it's, it's very common for people 20, 30 years later to get to a point where they can talk about it. And I think the, the, and I think that's really, really good. I think the, the downside of that is I think when someone sits and listens to a podcast like this or, or, you know, hears a story or looks at, you know, uh, reads a book, you know, from something like this, it's easy to go like, Oh, wow, that's crazy. That happened in 1986 or 1987. And it's easy to lose sight of the fact that this is happening in 2021, that there are homes operating with little to no oversight because of the religious exemptions. And they're able to do whatever they want with very little 
consequence, you know, and, and so. And because they're lining the pocket of politicians, right. you know, that, yeah. that allow it to happen. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, that's the part that makes me sick too. Yeah. And it, it is. Yeah. It, it's, it's really frustrating. And I, I feel like I, I scratched the surface of this, you know, like I know um, I've had people on the show before who work in the world of just troubled teen homes, you know, not even just religious, but just the troubled teen industry and the amount of politics surrounding it and the money, it, it sounds crazy. Like when you hear, you know, like you mentioned George Bush allowing, you know, Texas homes, like that sounds crazy. Like you start going like, Oh, these there's higher ups and there's, you know, all this financial incentive to keep these open. And there's these religious, like, if you don't do your research, it sounds like this weird conspiracy theory. Like, Oh, there's all these people operating these homes. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, but that is the case. And, and, you know, even, even within people who've stepped out of the more extreme IFB circles, you know um, I mean, I think about, uh, I think about people that operate these homes all over the place. You know Um, I've had, I had David Gibbs the third on my show um, and, you know, he's worked very closely with troubled teen homes and defended their religious liberty. But when you start really unpacking what that religious liberty is covering, it's abuse, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's a really, you know, it's, it's difficult because I, I empathize with people who, you know, feel the need to fight for religious freedom. But like I've said, every time I've talked about this subject on the show, like I just can't, I don't, I can't get to a place where you can say religious freedom, you know, there's this religious exemption for abuse, you know, there's like a religious exemption to, and and that for me just seems so clear, but I guess it's mm-hmm. not. And, and, and I, I am a hundred percent for, for freedom of religion. People should be allowed to practice whatever religion they choose, yeah. but it shouldn't be forced on other people. Right. No matter what age they are. That's one of the things, you know, I, I served in the military for so long because I believe, I believe that. Yeah. But it, like you said, you said it perfect. It's not a license to abuse. I mean, like, look at, you know, radical is Islam, Islamism and the Taliban and the things like that. It's, it's to me, it's almost the same thing. No, it's any, any religion or religious group where you use it as a license to hurt other people, mm-hmm. I think is a, is a negative thing. I, I am curious. Um, Cause it's one thing that I always, you know, it's uh, people listening to stories. It's the number one thing I hear back. It's the number one way I justified these homes existing. You know, you look back at, you know, things you were doing at 11, you know, things that were, you know, not good. <laughs> like, like I, I think probably realize like, okay, well probably not going to be running around town and drinking at 11, you know, like all those sorts of things. And also the way that that problem was attempted to be solved, quote unquote solved, wasn't good. Like yeah. a lot more trauma, a lot of it, things that had that problem, out. but now I'm right. dealing with, you know, other problems. I, right. I have, I seem to not have the ability to have long-term relationships. Mm. You know, I've been married and divorced four times. Yeah. And um, 
you know, now, now I have difficulty with working because I had these toxic bosses in the army that sort of triggered all of this. Like now looking back, I, I was in this hostile work environment with a senior individual who to me was a dirty old man, you know, yeah. he's a pervert and it was this horrible environment really stressful and I didn't know it at the time but when after I started going to counseling and it came out that like I was stuck in that girl's home again I was 40 Mm -hmm. but I was stuck in that girl's home again and I couldn't escape like in the army when they put you in a job and you have a toxic boss or somebody over you holding power over you and suppressing you and um you can't escape i i was like you can't quit i can't quit my job i'm in the army you know yeah right (laughs) so um i was stuck and and i left you know i left this um program a residency program because of that environment and then down the road through a lot of therapy it came out that I was back in that environment, you know, sure. and Miss Christie was there. Like it, it was them all over again in my head, but I didn't know it at the time, but through counseling, that's what was happening. Right. And then, then I learned to stand up for myself. So here I am in the army standing up to people who outranked me and that didn't go over very well. Sure. Standing up for myself for what I, I thought was right when they tried to make me do something I didn't agree with, or they were treating one of my soldiers or NCOs and they weren't treating them well, you know? So, so I almost lost my career because of it, you know, it was, it was hard, but like, I think I was a ticking time bomb and it, and it just, so I'm late, I'm late to the game of dealing with with the effects of that and I just got divorced for the fourth time you know because I haven't figured out how to have healthy relationships yeah well Um, I think that's I I mean it's levels of trauma that you're working through and and you know it's and also too like you went from you know one extreme setting in which you can't really think for yourself into the military where you're not really think. you know what I mean? So like to try to figure that out in those environments is difficult, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of different levels to that. And, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, like looking back, you know, obviously the solution that was, that was offered. And I say solution with the biggest of quotation marks, the solution that was offered wasn't, it, you know, like that wasn't going to stop the things that you were doing. That wasn't going to change any of the, any of the issues that were there. No, looking, looking back at that 11 year old came back and I was in that Christian school. I still got drunk. I still got high. (laughs) What do do you wish? What do you wish would have happened? You know, know, like, what do you wish would have happened for that 11 year old girl? You know, like what, what, Uh, I mean, I, I, what I wish would have happened now, looking back, if I could like go back and fix it, mm. it would have been like, 
we, my whole family, my mom, dad, me and my brother would have gone to counseling or something, mm. you know, like, yeah. or maybe they did try to take me to counseling. I remember talking to counselors and I remember one in particular was like, you have your biological mom and your biological dad and they're still married. What the hell's wrong with you? Mm. You wow. know, like, like what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to yeah. live with them? You're lucky you have both your parents, you know, like, wow. Yeah. That, that, that I remember like that from one counselor, you know, but yeah. I guess they know more now. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it shows how different we think about things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, um, I would, that's what I would have liked to happen and work through the issues. And maybe I could have like grown up feeling loved instead Mm. of thinking feeling loved was going out and, you know, falling in love with the first person who shows me any kind of attention, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then my parents signed for me to get married when I was 16. And now I realize that was the first attempt to get rid of me failed. So that's, you know, I got married when I was 16, you know, and now I know like that was the permanent way to get me off there. They don't have to be responsible for me anymore. So and then when the army tried to get rid of me, that was like, wow, even the army doesn't want me after I've given them, you know, 20 years, like my entire adult life that, that was like, ouch. No. So, but I, I fought, I won and I, I got to retire, got my 20 years and 20 days. <sighs> so now being at the, I mean, at the top of this now, trying to unpack it, you know, and, and, you know, I know you mentioned you're just starting, you know, which I think there's probably a lot of people listening who would feel they're in the same position or they feel like they haven't even started, like they're, they feel like they're about to start. Um, What would you say to them or what would you encourage people to do who are sitting there going like, man, I've never even touched that or even tried to start digging into that. Uh, What would you encourage people to to do or, or how would you encourage them as they kind of start that, that journey? Um, I would say, don't be afraid to ask for help, Mm -hmm. you know, from uh, therapist, counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, like whoever, if you're religious, your pastor, if you trust them, if (laughs) um, like, that's what I had to do because Cause it started out for me with depression. Like yeah, here yeah. I am in, in the army, I was a captain in this program and I was like, so depressed. Like I, I couldn't even go in there. Like I couldn't even go to work and like, yeah. I had to call my cubemate and tell her like, I can't come in. I can't even walk in the door. And so okay. I'd have to like go to the hospital and tell them I needed to talk to somebody and that's how it started and then then it got worse and worse and um I ended up in an inpatient out I mean intensive outpatient program Mm -hmm. you know 
which like uh, here I am I was I was a major with like 20 years in the army and I'm in there with these young soldiers but that's how, how I discovered how I started unpacking it and it came down to like this autobiography I had to write and that was the third time I had to write an autobiography and the first two times I couldn't write it. Hmm. I just couldn't get past the first sentence because I realized my life was ridiculous. Like, how do you write this down and turn it into people in the army who are going to read it? Right. The first time was in 2011. I went to Fort Bragg. They were, um, it was like, a selection for females to go out with the special operations teams to help with um, communicate with the women, um, mm-hmm. cultural support teams. And I didn't get selected because I turned in a, a blank sheet of paper with mm-hmm. one sentence on it for my autobiography. And the second time was in a yoga teacher training class I took. And I couldn't write my autobiography. And then in this intensive outpatient program, they're like, you have to write it or, or at least tell it like it was a group thing. And we had to all get up and tell our little story. And so I told my little story because in the army, you have to do what you have to do. And me being the senior ranking person in the group, I went first. And then, that's how I realized that was the part of my life that like really bothered me. Hmm. And after that, uh, they referred me out to a, a civilian therapist who could see me once a week because I couldn't function at work. Hmm. And uh, so that's, that's how I started um, dealing with everything and I got lucky I had a good therapist in Texas so um and that was that's been about three years ago now so yeah I I guess I would tell people to don't be afraid to find someone to talk to about it especially if you can find someone who's been in the same situation. Like when I found these girls that were there with me, like they, they get it. No one else seems to get it, you know, but but they get it. And um, I was even able to talk to the judge who he was, he's retired, but he was the youth court, the new youth judge in Hattiesburg that got the place closed down and it was like so good to talk to him. And that was just about a month ago. So it's talking about it, I think is the best thing to help understand and process it. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's good to get that closure. um, If you can call it that, but being able to, start working through it and, and go through that process. And, and, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's hard because you, 
you want to say, oh, it's instantly better. Like we know it's wrong and then it's fixed. I, I think, but I appreciate you kind of sharing the process of, you know, going through that. And, and like you said too, I think this is another piece is, I mean, you were high ranking in the military, like you're, you know, you're tough and, and, you know, and successful and, and, you know, but it's still, doesn't feel like that, you know, all of that doesn't, doesn't yeah, that all of that doesn't matter if, if there's all of this that has to be addressed, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, everybody has to address these things, you know, regardless of where you're at positionally or, or, you know, age or career or, you know, you have to address this kind of stuff. And I appreciate you being just transparent with that, um, with sharing that. And obviously like going from three years ago, struggling to write down on a piece of paper, you know, what happened to three years now sharing your story in full, you know, or at least in large part, like, I think that's a huge stat, like that speaks to the progress that's being made. Um, and I think that's really, really special. Um, and I just hope people listening, like if, if someone's listening to this, who's not shared their story or who, you know, who just hasn't even, not even sharing necessarily, but hasn't ever delved into it or tried to address it. Like it is better late than never. Like it is good to start unpacking that and making those steps. And it looks different for everybody, but I think like you said, finding someone who's a licensed therapist that can walk you through that makes all the difference. Um, you know, like finding someone who can tell you the steps to take is, is a great thing. And, um, I, I just want to say thank you for, for sharing. I think it's helpful for people to hear stuff like this. I think it's helpful for, for people who have been in similar situations. Like you mentioned people don't understand it. Like I love these conversations because in a lot of ways I don't understand fully. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, I can understand a little bit of the religious abuse side. I can understand a little bit of, you know, cover up within some of these organizations, but um, it's, it's invaluable to me to hear perspectives from people who've actually been in it and seen it and, and can explain it in in a way that I think will resonate with people who are listening. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I'd like to add that if, if you try one therapist, counselor, psychologist, and, and they don't work out, try another one, keep no. trying. Cause you know, that's, that's what I did. I had one really good one and four or five, not so good ones. And one I, I, I refused to talk to again because the, the first t- time we talked, he, he zoned in on, um, on, t- on wanting to talk about my, my reason for living. What is my, purpose in life and and he zoned in on the religious thing and he he said he he labeled me an atheist and Mm. and I took offense to the fact that he was labeling me and honing in on this religious Mm. aspect and I said well if you're going to label me call me agnostic like just what does it matter you know like and I, I I never talked to him again no. I, I asked for another therapist. Because, no. So, and I think that happens with a lot of people. If, if you go once and have a bad experience, don't let it dissuade you from trying again or trying with someone else or trying a different form of therapy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a piece of advice. Um, Claire Horner, who's a religious trauma therapist, she um, she talks about that. Like, you know, it like basically question your therapist when you first go in and ask them questions. Um, and the first question she said to ask was ask them if they see a therapist. You know, like who do they see? Who do they talk to? And um, I think that's really helpful and and really valuable advice. I think for people who are are getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, my, if, my one good therapist, my one good therapist in Texas, I, I, I got there a little bit early and, um, they were playing religious music in the waiting room, like mm. church rock or whatever it is religious. And I almost got up and walked out and never went back, mm. <laughs> but I yeah. sat there Cause it was, it like was triggering, but I was like, let me try this. And she was a great therapist. Yeah. And so if I had walked out that door and not given her a chance, it would have, um, I, I wouldn't have benefited as much as I did from, from having her for the the time I did a a little over a year, year and a half. So you have to, be brave and stick it out. It's painful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. For, for anybody um, who's listening, who is looking for somebody, cause I get that message a lot, you know, where to find a therapist. If you're listening to this and you're questioning where to start, um, feel free to send an email, uh, preacherboysdoc at gmail.com. Um, I can connect you with um, different people. There's a couple good organizations and also just um, psychology today. Um, it's got a great database of people as well. Um, but, uh, and also too, I have a, I have an interview with Claire Horner where she talks about the process of finding a therapist because it is, um, I remember for me, like early on in the show, I was like, I should talk to a therapist. And I was like, I don't even know where you, do you open a phone book and like, look for, you know, how does that work? So if you, if you're listening, you want to find, uh, information about that, just, uh, listen to my interview with Claire, uh, send over an email one way or another. I'll try to send over some resources. That'll be helpful. I'm not a therapist, um, but I can connect you with someone who is and, and can help. But um, I think that's awesome. Is there, is there anything else you want to add as we kind of wrap up or um, I think uh, I think that's really helpful. And I, you know, as always, if someone's listening, who is helped by it, you know, definitely let me know. I'd love to pass that along to, to Tiffany and, um, and I'm sure there will be, there's always, I always get a good amount of messages after these drop. So thank you. Awesome. awesome. Well, thanks guys. Thank you so much for listening and I uh, will catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at preacher boys doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.